One choice decides your friends. One choice defines your beliefs. One choice determines your loyalties forever. One choice can transform you. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Daphne, and this is Rereading, Rereading the, the Revolution. Revolution. The show where we dive back into the dystopian obsessed era, otherwise known as the early 2010s. This is our very first episode, and I'm really excited because we are doing like the perfect first episode, and that is Divergent by Veronica Roth. So both of us did read Divergent when it was popular. I'll talk about my experience with the series a little bit, and then I want to know about yours because we haven't talked about this yet, so no, I we don't haven't. know. So for me, I know I read Divergent a little bit after it had first come out because the movies were coming out and I was huge Hunger Games fan. It was very much marketed as for fans of the Hunger Games. So I was probably about 16 reading these books. That's like way later than I thought. Yeah, I was well into high school and I remember at that point knowing enough about writing that I was like something seems off about these (laughs) and thinking that there were some things that weren't quite right with it because I had studied a lot of English and I was very familiar with like what a good book reads like but I also could not put them down. I flew through the whole series in a couple of weeks and I read four. Did you read four? I did read four. I forgot about that too until we were getting back into this. So I remember thinking that maybe they weren't that great, but also I couldn't stop reading them, which was very similar to my experience this time around, I will say. Me too. I was surprised by how much I liked it on the reread. My experience is I was in the trenches. (laughs) I read the first two before the third one was out. The first two were published and then I had to uh, painstakingly wait for the third one. I remember the day the third one was published, I pretended to be sick and I downloaded it on my Kindle and I read it all in a day. Divergent was like the first thing that I read after the Hunger Games. Obviously, like also super Hunger Games obsessed. That was like the best thing I had ever read at that point in my life. And I was like, wow, they'd make other stuff like this. Then the movies came out and um, the interest just kind of left. Yeah, don't worry, we'll talk about the movies a oh, little yes, bit more. Oh yes, we will. What do you know about Veronica Roth? Veronica Roth, I know, well, what I know about this first book is that she apparently wrote it within the span of a winter break in college. So that's how quickly this book was written. (laughs) That is actually more than I knew, but I did some research on her. She's really interesting because she is super young. She's now in 2024, only 35. Oh, wow. She is from the Chicago area which is obviously relevant to what we'll be talking about later. And she still lives there. I was reading about how she had sort of an interesting religious upbringing. Her grandparents were concentration camp survivors. Whoa! And so her mother was very uh, like rejecting of religion, but then she learned about Christianity in high school and stayed with it. And I noticed reading Divergent this time that there's a lot of references to God and religion. So that's going to be really interesting now knowing that to have in mind as we read the next couple of books. Wait, yeah! So you're actually right about winter break. She has said in some interviews, the story was a little bit sensationalized. So she was in the creative writing program at Northwestern. She started the book in her fall semester. She did do the lion's share of the writing over winter break, but she said she spent about 50 days total on it. Oh, okay. She also said that she has never written a book that fast again. Still 50 days. I I literally thought it was like two weeks and I was like, damn, that's crazy. She had an agent by March of that year. The publishing rights sold in four days in 2010 and the film rights were sold by March 2011 before the novel was even printed 
in April. How did, that's crazy. I don't know how so she got so lucky. She got incredibly lucky. She said she sent it out to a bunch of big publishing houses that were doing this kind of work and that she knew had gotten books made into movie deals. It's really impressive what she was able to do as probably a 22-year-old. Uh, she did a great Slate interview about the whole thing in 2020. She said that the book was actually inspired by, she was taking a Psych 101 class. Now, I've taken a lot Wait. of psychology classes. <laughs> she said she learned about exposure therapy and she was interested in what would happen if a group of people tried to create fearlessness using exposure therapy. So the seed actually came from the idea Whoa. of the Dauntless tests. Interesting. And, mm -hmm. Do you know about the Milgram obedience studies? No, it's that. Where there were people that basically they had them sit on opposite sides of a machine and one of the people was affiliated with the lab but the other person didn't know that. And so they were basically being told by the person running the study to keep shocking them until the point that it would have killed a person if they were actually being huh? shocked, but they weren't actually shocking them. You can tell it's been a few years since I was in school, so I've lost a little bit of the details. But the studies were basically about obedience and how people, the vast majority of people involved in the experiments are so willing to be obedient to someone in a lab coat who's talking to them, a person who seems to be in a position of power that they, will actually go beyond what they know is reasonable rather than disobey them. So she said that was another huge influence mm. on writing this, creating this society. That. You can see that, right? So the movie Divergent came out in March 2014. In April, the following month, it's announced that Allegiant is going to be in two parts. I remember that yes. and I remember thinking, again, she's on the Divergent set writing the Allegiant book. The turnaround Ooh. was so fast on these. Insurgent movie comes out in March 2015. Allegiant comes out in March 2016. They name part two. Oh, I had I forgotten. I can't remember. What is it? Ascendant. Yeah. Why? So it's scheduled to come out the following March. It would have been 2017. And that did not happen. As we know, it didn't happen. I remember when they announced that it was going to be a television show. Yeah. Or a television film. Well, that's what they like were because planning it was, to do because they didn't have enough yeah, money. Yeah, it flopped. Yeah. And then apparently they had also announced which I don't remember, that there was going to be a spinoff series on stars. I think I remember which, that. Do you know anyone that watches anything with no. stars? I mean, it probably was for the best. And Veronica actually said it was for the best as well. She uh, was interviewed actually just a few months ago in Deadline. She said that she gets why they did it because breaking things into two was so big after Harry Potter yeah. and Twilight. But she said those books were you know, those were massive books that you really needed to. And she felt like her book actually really didn't need yeah. to be because there just wasn't enough like meat to make it two movies. And so she feels okay about the whole thing. I'm sad that the public will never know how these ended if they didn't read the books, but hopefully the ending is crazy. It's I'm still crazy. mad about it. Hopefully people will read along with us or listen and I, they'll yeah. find out. Like also the Hunger Games didn't even need two parts for its last movies. It really didn't. So I, I mean, I'm I glad. Them. What was the other one? Maze Runner. They did it right. They just did three. Yes. So three mediocre movies. That's all we asked for. Yeah. She has written six other books. Um, she's moved to older audiences since then. She wrote an epilogue to Divergent called We Can Be Mended. Wait, I haven't heard of that. I have never heard of. And apparently you could purchase it independently or it was included as an extra if you pre-ordered her book Carve the Mark. And oh, that's recent. She has Maybe this, like a couple years Yeah, ago. she has this duology, 2017-2018, called Carve the Mark that I actually think could be kind 
kind of interesting to do on the show at some point. I I know about that because I remember there was kind of controversy about it. I think she got like micro canceled, but I can't really remember the details. That is so interesting. (laughs) If we end up looking forward to the late 2010s, it may be something we should look into. Yeah, I gotta see if we can find this story because I am so interested. People like this book though. I feel like it's always a joke that this book is not good, but it has over a four star average on Goodreads. Divergent, you mean? Yeah, Yeah. divergent. Four million ratings. That's crazy. So I'm excited to talk about Divergent because... I can't imagine people like it because (laughs) I loved it. And upon the reread, I was expecting to think it was stupid, which honestly I did, but I could Mm -hmm. not stop reading. I did the audiobook and I was locked in. We tried not to talk about this book (laughs) before we got on the podcast, but both of us kept having moments where we were like, oh my God, is this good? I know. I I actually, I did not do the audiobook. I did it in paper form and I could I was flying through. I was taking the book to like doctor's appointments and places with me because I couldn't put it down. I was listening on the treadmill at the gym. Oh, that's one way to get you pumped up. It it sure did. (laughs) So do we want to talk about the beginning chapter one? Let's yeah, let's talk about what this book is about for people that don't know. First of all, yeah, Divergent is about a dystopian world that takes place in a far distant Chicago, Illinois. So far in the future that they reference like the lake has dried up and I'm like... marsh. Yeah, it's a marsh. I have to ask, where did that water go? I have to ask you a question. Lake Michigan is huge! Yes. So I had not been to Chicago yet when I read these books the first time. And I will say having a knowledge of Chicago on honestly helps reading a lot because there are multiple scenes now Mm -hmm. like now having seen the lake and realizing it is like an ocean and having been to the navy (laughs) pier and realizing the wheel is not a regular ferris wheel it's enormous and having sort of cultural references like that does help i need you to help me through this do you very clearly remember this book being about chicago yes i do high school or middle school i I remember realizing it because there was the lake and then there was the ferris wheel and i was like that's the navy pier That's the thing. See, I didn't know that because I hadn't been there, but she actually says super early on in the book something about this place used to be called Chicago. Maybe she doesn't say Chicago, but she says this used to be called the Sears Tower. I think that's what it is. I have a false memory of the reveal that it was Chicago being the twist at the end of Allegiant. Very Planet of the Apes. Uh, Yes, very, it was Chicago all along. And so reading this book, I'm like, (laughs) I can't remember what the twist was, although I think I might have actually remembered when I was reading a different interview with Veronica Roth about what the reveal was. But it's very exciting to me because for years and years I've been like, oh, the reveal was that they were in Chicago all along. It was America. Oh, we've read that Because I think that would have been a lot more interesting to find out it was Chicago yes. all along. And I think that it's a completely different reveal that I just remembered wrongly. So I can't wait to see if my theory is right, right. or if I'm completely off the mark. Yeah, because Hunger <laughs> Games didn't do that. You always wonder in the Hunger Games, like, where yeah. were they? It would have been so cool in the Hunger Games if they're like, you know what? Look, this was Orlando the whole time. Like, <laughs> it would probably be more of a West Virginia or something. Maybe, I, maybe. That sure would be funny. But anyways, <laughs> in this, yes, in this dystopian world of Chicago, people live their lives divided into five factions, which are based on very specific personality traits. Yes. There is the abnegation, which are the selfless ones, the candor, mm-hmm. who are the honest ones, the erudite, who are the smart ones, the amity, which are the kind ones, and the dauntless, which are the fearless, brave ones. And Triss, 
or Beatrice is a abnegation teenager. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself. What faction did you think that you were reading these? Or do you want to guess? what faction mine was, and I could guess what you Oh, were. I know what yours was. <laughs> I'm easier. You're an erudite. I, yes. And I forgot that they're really villainized in this book. Oh, because yeah. I always saw myself as erudite, because I was a Ravenclaw kid. You, I feel like, could be one of two. Guess. I'm going to guess that as a kid, you probably saw yourself as Dauntless. For sure. Correct. <laughs> but now, I mean, we could talk about this more in a minute. Dauntless sounds Terrible. It sure does. Now I think I would put you in candor. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I wouldn't. I don't think I would ever pick candor. I really? think that's too scary. Telling oh, the truth all the time. I feel like you would be maybe kind of liberated by that. <laughs> maybe. A couple of months ago, I did rewatch the movie with my friend. Uh, didn't really pay attention though, but I did take like a stupid quiz and it told me that I was abnegation. Really? Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm just like so selfless. So it's the only <laughs> one I didn't say. <laughs> I guess so. I guess we're I not know. very good friends. I think if I had to choose to live in one, I don't particularly, like, consider myself, like, a super, like, knowledgeable person, but I think Mm -hmm. Erudite would be the one to choose, because, like, it's not hard labor, you're not having to give things up. Uh (laughs) It certainly seems like one of the more interesting factions. Like, Abnegation just seems like they go home... They stare at the wall. Yeah. They go to bed. They wear ugly clothes. <laughs> yeah, at least like, that you're allowed to read books. I do like self-expression, and <laughs> I don't want to give that up. Yeah, Tris, she grew up in abnegation with her brother, who I guess is... I, would you call them, like, Irish twins or something? I, They're the very close in age. would be Irish twins. I don't know if we're supposed to say that, <laughs> is that anymore. Is that bad? But it means they're less than a year apart from each other. So they, they do their choosing ceremony at the same time. Yes, which they're is in when, the same grade in school. When they're 16, they have to take an... The aptitude test. Yes. Where they will be told what their aptitude is for the factions. Like if they lean more towards a certain personality type. Um, And then they get to choose which faction. And they can choose a different one from the way that they're born. And it's incredibly serious. Your faction is your life. They say faction before blood. Yeah. I have this quote That's a little dramatic, I think. Yes. Where she's talking about there are people who don't belong in factions known as the factionless, who for one reason or another have been ousted from their faction or didn't make it through a faction's initiation. And here Tris says, without a faction, we have no purpose and no reason to live. (laughs) So you have to choose one of five purposes. And without that, you are nothing. And the factionless are treated incredibly badly. They get very few resources. They are living on the streets. It's almost like so, a metaphor or yeah. something. It's almost like she's trying to say something. <laughs> so the aptitude test and where you end up going, the stakes could not be higher. And the children who are taking this are 16 years old. That's like the perfect time to make this super important decision, <laughs> I think. Before they even take the aptitude test, she notes something about like Caleb, which is her brother. Mm-hmm. They see each other at school and then she says something about him being really good at math. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Math isn't a very abnegation thing, but I'm sure that won't come up later. So you get a scenario. Well, first of all, <laughs> you're not allowed to prepare for the test. Oh, yes, so you're not allowed to prepare. You are injected with a serum that puts you under into a very realistic feeling false reality. The one that Tris takes, she enters the scenario and she has a table in front of her with two baskets. One has a piece of cheese and one has a knife. 
and you're told to choose. Which would you choose? I have been puzzling <laughs> over this for weeks. Cheese or a knife? I don't think of myself, I'm a very non-violent person, so I don't think I would go for a knife, but what is cheese going to do? <laughs> No, it's a good little snack. So Tris refuses to choose, which is highly unusual behavior. <laughs> and she's faced with a rabid dog. And she goes, oh, I can see now why I would have either wanted the cheese or the knife. <laughs> she could have fed the dog or stabbed the yes. dog, I guess. And so she ends up laying on the ground until the dog calms down and wants to uh, play with her. She goes into a secondary test where she's on a bus and there is a man holding a newspaper with a headline saying there's a murderer who's been apprehended and she feels like she knows the person and she has to say whether or not she knows them. Oh yeah. And so she lies and says no. She also realizes she realizes in the situation that what is happening is not real and typically the people in these simulations think that they're in real life. So this is really setting the scene for everything to come. She's different. (laughs) That test happens and the woman who's running her test is a dauntless woman named Tori and she is like oh my god you cannot tell anyone about what just happened i'm marking you as abnegation yeah just tell everyone that you're abnegation that's what you got yes. and tris is like huh her results are inconclusive yes because every pathway that would have put her into a specific faction's bucket she didn't answer properly and tori whispers to beatrice it's a real like that's the name of the movie moment that's what i wrote down <laughs> she says people who get this kind of result are And then Tori says, you can't tell anyone that you're divergent. It has to be a secret. And Beatrice (laughs) is like, well, what's divergent? She's like, I can't tell you. You're on your own. So Tris and Caleb have a very difficult choice ahead of them. We follow up with them in the choosing ceremony the following day. Their parents are there. There are basically five basins that they have to choose to cut their hand open and drip their blood into. Again, faction over blood. It's all very symbolic. And they call them in reverse alphabetical order, which is very clearly just a device for Caleb to go before Beatrice, oh. which is one of those moments where Should I'm like, just change okay, the name? <laughs> yeah, maybe we could have used some editing in that. Did his name have to be Caleb? Does that mean something? It's kind of like in the Hunger Games when the tests and the interviews go in opposite orders just because they needed the story to yes, move along in a certain direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caleb shocks everyone by choosing Erudite. Traitor. She still hasn't even decided until she walks up. And at the very last moment, she chooses Dauntless. Oh boy. Oh boy. She saw them hopping off of trains, which now I know what an L train looks like. I understand why that's really scary. You've they're jumping off Chicago? of elevated trains in oh. Chicago. Yes, they're it not. It is scary. And here's the thing. <laughs> unnecessary they don't need to be doing that and then so after this happens she's like joining dauntless she has to leave with them and she says the dauntless they start rushing down the stairwells and she's like well i'm used to taking the stairs because i'm an abnegation and it's selfish to use the elevator but all the dauntless they're like running and sprinting down the stairs and she says it is not a selfless act for dauntless to take the stairs it is a wild act And I'm like, I think taking the elevator is a more of a wild act because there's like uncertainty in that. You don't know if it's going to fall. Like taking the stairs, that's wild. You can't bound down the elevator like (laughs) a bunch of hooligans hooting and hollering. You have to, you have to wait in line. Yeah. (laughs) So then they got to get themselves back to the dauntless compounds. They're jumping onto the train and stuff. Something that happens during this is another one of the initiates, which is what they're called. Now that they've joined Dauntless, they're not fully Dauntless, they're in initiation. Is one of the girls from like, I think, Erudite or something, falls off and dies. Yes. 
And they just move on from there. And someone, I think he's the one Amity boy, is just too afraid to jump off of the train. And so they say, if you don't jump off, you're just going to be factionless. Yep. And so immediately, minutes after making his decision about the rest of his life, he's factionless. He has no home, And no then family. minutes after that, a girl does not make the jump from the train to a rooftop of a skyscraper, which <laughs> immediately reading that, I can't imagine who would possibly want to be in Dawson. No, it's awful. Also, it's like, I don't know, mm-hmm. don't you need these people to be like your police force? That's what Dauntless is. Yes. And they're just like, no, you can you, you can just die. Like, that's I okay. I remember almost nothing about this movie. I think I've maybe seen this movie twice years and years and years ago. I remember the scene where they jump off of the building down into Dauntless headquarters yeah. so vividly. Yeah, because it's like, that was like the trailer yes. shot. That was yes. like, that was everything. That, is, that was like Shailene Woodley's star-making moment. Beatrice jumps first. Everyone's afraid to jump because they can't see where they're going. She has and that's her how brave we see girl moment. She has extraordinary bravery, even compared to the other incoming Dauntless initiates, even the ones that were born in Dauntless. <laughs> she jumps down. She realizes Beatrice is the old me. That's the abnegation me. She rebrands herself as Triss. Which is honestly such a cool name. It is cool. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone in Dauntless wears all black. They all have tattoos. So she sticks out like a sore thumb as the only person in her gray abnegation clothes. It's a big deal. She takes her outer shirt off before she jumps. Uh But yeah, they get there. And then the person running their training is named Four. For, like, the number. F-O-U-R. It's funny reading this back because you realize that Four is an 18-year-old guy leading a bunch of 16-year-olds. Something that they do say in Dauntless is age doesn't matter here. You prove yourself. (laughs) And it's so hard for me to imagine him as an 18-year-old because reading the book, all I could visualize was Theo James. Yeah, who was, like, what, like, 27 when they filmed (laughs) that. And so you do forget this. These are basically children leading children. Yep. Mm-hmm. Things don't don't fare well. So then you learn during this, like not only if you don't pass initiation, do you not get to be in Dauntless and you have to be factionless. Only 10 initiates can make it into Dauntless. Everyone else, you're going to be factionless if you don't make it into the rankings out of 10. And that's from a pool of all of the people who were born into Dauntless who chose to stay and all of the outsiders. So we're looking at, it was close to 20 people. Something something like like that. that. Yep. They start dropping like flies, but we started around 20 Which just seems like a Which they already have. Because it's like, can't they all contribute something to Dauntless Society if they don't make it in the top 10? Like, that just seems... There are people in Dauntless who make the food and who give the tattoos and have jobs that aren't necessarily working the fence and guarding the city. So it does seem bizarre that they only want the top 10 because it seems um, like their numbers are going to dwindle. They needed to make the stakes high, and by they I mean Veronica. (laughs) These are the Uh, kind of moments where I think, okay, this might have benefited from a little bit more editing. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I love the first line of chapter 8 and Kelly has the book, so she's going to read it. The first thing you will learn today is how to shoot a gun. The second thing is how to win a fight. Hell yeah. And four immediately hands Triss a gun and keeps it moving. Yes. So we're into Dauntless Initiation. They are getting trained and going through their initiation process at the same time. So basically they're learning how to shoot. They're learning to fight each other. They're sustaining major injuries. It is brutal. Some people may not even make it to the final test because they're not cut out for Dauntless. But Triss also makes friends here. Christina, who is from Candor, Will, who's from Erudite, and Al, who's also from Erudite, and they're just kind of her clique. And then there's like kind of the evil squad, mm-hmm. which is led by Peter from Erudite yes. and Molly from Candor, and I don't remember the other kids. 
But they're kind of like the bullies. They're the main two agitators, I would uh-huh. say. Peter's definitely like one of the biggest villains of yes. the book. He wants to be number one. But when mm-hmm. a little girl from abnegation proves that she's more slay than you, you get intimidated. <laughs> Chris starts kicking ass eventually. <laughs> yeah. I have a few moments that are just so silly to me that aren't as much plot but like there's a moment when they go and they have their first meal in Dauntless and it says in the center of the table is a platter of food I don't recognize circular pieces of meat wedged between round bread slices and then she says there's a small bowl full of red sauce Tris doesn't know what this food is. It's a hamburger. A hamburger. And Christina says, you've never had a hamburger before? And four says, stiffs eat plain food. Tris says, extravagance is considered self-indulgent and unnecessary. Yeah. And Christina says, no wonder you left. So the book is kind of funny, but there are also moments like, Mm -hmm. what could be plainer than a plain hamburger on a plain bun? What are they eating in abnegation? I know at one point she says they eat like chicken and peas. Peas and carrots and stuff, yeah. (laughs) But there are moments that just really crack me up in this Mm -hmm. book. And stiff is sort of the the slang term for people from Agnegation because they are very prim and proper, yes. Right, correct. (laughs) Also, at the beginning of her Dauntless initiation, Triss gets a makeover. She gets rid of all her gray clothes and dons black, and then she gets a tattoo, which honestly, that is brave. I wanted this (laughs) tattoo so badly. It's three birds on her collarbone that represent each member of her family mm-hmm. and it does look so cool in, in the, the movie, movie. <laughs> yes it looks amazing <laughs> the dauntless they get tattoos and they get mm-hmm. piercings because pain is bravery oh the person who was it tori who gave the tattoo? it's tori who's the tattoo oh, artist yes because tris keeps trying to ask tori about divergence and tori does not want to engage yeah, the subject which is exactly why she told her in the first place like <laughs> if you didn't want her to know don't tell her so she sees her again she's like hey girl i'm gonna get a tattoo Mm -hmm. by the way can you tell me more about that thing you told me that i can't tell anyone about and she's like no sorry throughout the training process tris and four are starting to get to know each other he's realizing that she's really brave there is an iconic game of capture the flag that involves them climbing the navy pier ferris wheel that's where we find out that four is afraid of heights and that Triss is seemingly not afraid of anything. One thing that I did know about that chapter is she like almost slips and falls and like she yes. like touches four and then she notes that his muscles are taut. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> that's there's a few moments where we're starting to build some tension. A little romantic tension. Which starts sure. much earlier than I remembered it and builds much faster than I remembered yes, it. Yes, it definitely does. But basically what they're doing for this huge chunk of the book is it's a constant cycle between like mm-hmm. them training and fighting each other one-on-one yes. and like hand-to-hand combat and just like beating the crap out of each other. Their social standing being based on like if you won the fight, if you lost the fight and Peter's yes. like winning all the fights. Chris is doing okay. The fights are randomly assigned too so sometimes you have somebody like Al who is the biggest kid in the group against someone like Tris, who's a very slight woman because they don't believe in concepts of fairness in Dauntless beyond anything but the strongest wins. Right. So they have this ranking system that's been moving throughout as they fight each other. Tris is steadily moving up as they continue going through the process. And Al is steadily moving toward the bottom because he doesn't want to fight anyone. Which makes me wonder why he really chose Dauntless to begin with. And he said because he thought it was about being 
being brave. But it's not about being brave. It's about being powerful. And I was like, wait a second. Is Veronica trying to say something? Like you think Dauntless is meant to be protecting people, but really it's about honestly being more powerful than other and, people and inserting your power. And four says that's what it used to be about, but it has become about exerting authority. Uh-huh. We're learning the true <laughs> corruption of this government. Can you believe a dystopian government would be corrupt? But something is brewing. Dauntless has changed. And something happens during their training. Christina is fighting Peter or Molly, one of the bullies. She's fighting them and she's just getting beat up. So she gives up. You have to go until you pass out. So she fakes passing out or she says, I give, I give, I can't do it anymore. Uh Uh-huh. And then in comes... Eric, who is the leader of Dauntless, who is also 18 years old. (laughs) Yes, and he holds a grudge against Four because Four was the top of their class, but chose not to be in the leadership role. Uh And so he knows that he didn't earn the role and is very aware of that. But it's like, dude, you initiated two years ago and now you're the like president of Dauntless. Just get over it. Eric sees Christina give up the fight and he's like, well, I got to teach her a lesson. Mm -hmm. He makes Christina hang over an open chasm that like goes like 50 feet down for five minutes it has rushing water in it it's incredibly dangerous so that happens she survives is this even really about being brave no it's just about power you can see this theme going through of people just wanting to exercise power for any means necessary Mm -hmm. at the same time that this training is happening Triss is one getting closer to four and two she's also getting to know some of the dauntless born initiates yeah so she becomes friends with Uriah who is is the top initiate over there and another initiate called Shauna. They zipline off of a skyscraper. It just seems so insane and dangerous. But she proves herself with them. She fits in with Dauntless. They say, we're uh-huh. pretty sure we can't call you stiff anymore. <laughs> After the physical trials, they're going to move on to simulation training. But before that, they have a family day. Tris does not expect her family to show up, but her mom does. Her mom seems like really familiar with a lot of the stuff around. She brings her down this hallway and Triss is like, wow, I've never been down this hallway before. Why does my mom seem to know where she's going? Triss's mom basically says, listen, I know you're divergent. I need you to figure this stuff out about this serum. And Triss is like, what? And then her mom is like, well, okay, gotta go. She says, you have to go talk to your brother. Right. Tell him to research. By the way, have a piece of cake for me. The chocolate is delicious. Mom knows that the cake at Dauntless is good. Oh my god. <laughs> Triss's mom was Dauntless born. Yeah, crazy <laughs> twist. About Triss's mom, I wrote in my notes. Mother joined Abnislation and serves the public. <laughs> Triss's mom, who we also suspect is divergent, chose abnegation because she believed that would be the most safe faction for herself. Although, now she knows her kid is divergent, she would have said, hey girl, don't choose Dauntless. I had to get away from them. You know, that didn't happen for sake of plot. Yes, because as Tori says, if you're Dauntless and divergent, people will be coming after you. Triss's mom knows about divergence. 
She never explains it, even though Tris is like, what, Mom, can you tell me more about this? No. She's like, no, it's too dangerous. Um, and that's that. So, because Tris's mom told her to go visit her brother and talk about the serum, she goes to the erudite compound to see what's up with Caleb. She finds her brother almost immediately, and he can't believe she's there, doesn't know what she's doing. She tells him to research the serum. Whether or not he's actually going to follow through on this seems questionable. Mm-hmm. However, she gets in huge trouble. Because the factions aren't supposed to mingle. They are not. Not supposed to mingle. That's yeah. a huge no part of this. factions. Can, they can't even be friends with each other. This is when she meets the leader of Erudite, who's like a scary, powerful woman. Her name is Janine, and she's pay- played by Kate Winslet in the movies. Yes, she. <laughs> the leader of Erudite is like, you know, you can't be here, but I know who you are. You've been doing really well in Dauntless mm-hmm. training. And this really- is how Tris finds out that people in <laughs> government have their eye on her. If the factions aren't allowed to be in cahoots with one another, why is Janine mm-hmm. paying attention to the Dauntless? less rankings. Yeah, that happens. Caleb is researching the serum, but then you kind of forget about it for a little bit. Yes. They start simulations. They enter these spaces called fear landscapes as part of their training. And the fear landscapes basically, well, I guess Tris actually gets a preview of what a fear landscape is because she goes into fours with him as sort right. of a weird flirtation strategy. Yeah. He's like wooing her by taking her through when he his brings fears. her into his fear landscape. <laughs> That is how we find out that four only has four fears. fears. (laughs) Uh, What are his fears? He's afraid of heights. He's afraid of two Um, other things. He's claustrophobic. Right. The space getting smaller. But the one main thing that he's afraid of is his dad. His dad. Who, plot twist, is the leader of abnegation. Who has been coming after Triss's dad, we hear about in the beginning of the book. So this is how she finds out. Thor is an abnegation initiate. He is the boy that ran away from abnegation to go to Dauntless that she had heard about. And now she's putting all of the pieces of the puzzle together. Because both of their fathers are really important in government. And then you're finally glad to have a name for Tobias and that's not for. But she she calls him Tobias in private, but obviously his identity is still secret, so we still have to keep referring <laughs> to him as four. After that, the rest of the initiates <laughs> are introduced to their fear landscapes and they spend their days figuring out how to fight these fears. However, Triss has an advantage because when she's inside of hers, she's aware that she's in a simulation. She is told by four not to tell anyone this because that means she's divergent basically we also find out that tris only has six fears which is really abnormal well well. she has seven tris's last fear is intimacy specifically with four but he doesn't know so she has to keep that a secret from him we hit on this earlier but she goes to the tattoo place to talk to tori again because she wants to know why she's aware that she's she knows when she's in a simulation but no one else does and tori says that this is a hallmark of divergence but she still won't say what other aspects make a person divergent just that you can manipulate a simulation you may be even able to shut it down and these people almost always die she also says, I deleted your aptitude results from the system and manually logged you as abnegation. Make no mistake. If they discover what you are, they will kill you. So the stakes are incredibly high for this being a secret because the government does not like divergence. And we don't know why yet, but we know that it's serious. It sure is. Triss is doing really well in the fear trials because she only has six, basically seven fears, which puts her 
really high in the rankings. She's number one in the rankings for the first time ever. This, of course, intimidates the initiate bullies like Peter and Molly, who have been performing really well in the physical trials. Now she's basically on everyone's hit list. And in the middle of the night, she is abducted and they try to throw her off of that chasm, the pre-aforementioned it's chasm. It's scary. It's people in masks. She can't tell who it is, but she's able to fight them off with the help of four, who just happens to be there at the right time. But then she finds out that one of the people in the masks trying to kill her was Al, her friend. Who has been crying himself to sleep every night <laughs> and clearly was not cut out for this faction. And it's devastating. But at this point, things are not looking good for Al. So Triss goes back to Four's place. Triss goes back to Four's to get away from all of that. And then they wake up the next morning to find out that trigger warning... Al is not alive anymore at the end of this chapter. Of his own volition, it, yes. it seems. He's found in the chasm. Yeah. They have this big ceremony for him calling him a hero for being brave enough to do what he did. And Triss is sitting there like, he tried to kill me. Yes. And then because he was so ashamed, he threw himself off instead. Yes. Triss thinks he's a coward. Which is, you know. Understandable. <laughs> I, I think a really weird theme to bring up in this YA book, though. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, that's the thing. It feels a little bit off. It, did you ever see Fight Club? I have seen Fight Club. Okay. The scene where they are like chanting about what a hero he is always reminds me of that scene in Fight Club. Where they're like, his name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. It's just so unsettling and uneasy. And I wonder if she had that subconsciously in her mind. Yeah. That sort of chanting someone into a position that they weren't in when they were alive. After Four and Triss go through Four's fear landscape, they discuss Four's aptitude test results. Triss is starting to suspect that Four may also be divergent. And Four tells her, I scored abnegation. It was not unusual. Are you going to think of me differently now that you know that my dad is Marcus? And she says, of course not. And then they kiss. And it's so romantic. It's so romantic. I remember reading this the first time at 13 being like, oh my God. I, I forgot it moves fast. Oh my God, they love each other. Within chapters they are meeting up all the time they're having they're little flirting. romantic trysts they're abnegation so they're all very appropriate yeah. uh chaste yeah and but she gets over her fear of him a little bit and it's like oh maybe you're only gonna have six fears now <laughs> and they say four and six so the last part of the training process is that they will have to go through their fear landscapes, which they've been practicing under observation by dauntless leaders. And then that will be combined with their placements from the previous tests to determine who actually makes it into dauntless. So Triss is last to go because she is currently place number one in her group. The thing that confused me about this is that everybody makes a really big point of her not acknowledging that she's in the simulation, but then going through this test she makes a lot of choices that are manipulating the simulation that really confused me in terms of the writing whether she, that was intentional why didn't someone notice and immediately pull her out and arrest her yeah she's saying i have no other option this is all a simulation she turns and shoots herself instead of shooting her family which in, is one of her in fears. her fear where she has to shoot her family uh -huh. and so something like that would have been immediately pegged as unusual behavior so so that did catch my attention. If we're being nitpicky. <laughs> By the way, Triss's first fear is just a ton of birds. Yes. 
Four asks her, is it about the birds? She says, it's not really about the birds. It's about, like, loss of control. If that were to happen to me, I suppose I would be afraid of the situation. A lot of the fears are symbolic. Like, some are literal, like, forced fear of heights. But then some of them are symbolic, like, losing control or having Mm -hmm. to hurt the people that you love. She has birds tattooed on her and birds attack her. And there's a lot of bird imagery. Tori has a big hawk tattoo. The birds are a big thing in Divergent. On the UK covers, I know there's, like, a big crow on the UK covers. We get through. They announce the placements. And Triss ranks number one one out of everyone it, even yes. above the dauntless even initiates. yeah her friend uriah who is the top dauntless initiate is still only number two and, because uh, a big part of the score is based on time to get through fear landscapes and most people have 10 to 15 fears so tris is at a huge advantage only having six mm-hmm. and also being able to manipulate the simulation she's officially going to be initiated into dauntless but she did a terrible job of blending in and also peter and molly yeah Molly didn't make Big it. Big news. Molly doesn't and their other area Their other friend, friend uh, So they're just factionless now. But Will and Christina but also Christina make it. Christina and Will both did a great job. By the way, they're dating now. Yeah, they announced the placements. And Tris just runs over and kisses Floor. They're, uh-huh. They've just made it public, by the way. They've already decided that their boyfriend and uh-huh. girlfriend... They didn't want to tell anyone because then no. it would be like, well, then that's how she's winning because yes. she's getting help. Like, well, now they're going to think that he was helping you the whole time. Was, that seems not to be a concern to them. I did not remember how quickly they like labeled themselves boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. I didn't think it happened in this book. Me neither. So I, I didn't was either. really surprised. Yeah, they're just... Um, uh, t- they barely know each other, but they're together. They have a lot of shared history. So then we think we're in the clear. Well, big twist. Everyone has just gotten injections that they said are a standard government issue thing. Not suspicious Not suspicious. So we think we're in the clear. Triss sees everybody in her dorm. All of the other initiates who made it through start getting ready for something. They're like getting out of bed and she can't figure out what's going on. She quickly realizes that... They are not acting of their own accord. They're like robots. They can't tell what's happening. She's talking to them. She's Uh not getting a response. She's completely sentient. She quickly realizes two things. They're somehow being controlled by the injection that they've just gotten. They are marching into some sort of battle type situation. And that she better blend in as quickly as possible. Her number one priority is to find four. So they all board a train and four looks just as asleep as the rest of them. And so she starts thinking, wow, maybe he really isn't divergent but then there's a moment where she touches his hand and he squeezes it back so she realizes he's divergent too he may be lower level divergent than her (laughs) he can't manipulate the simulations the way that she can but he's able to at least see through this serum a yeah. little bit. Something about Triss is she's different. Even among the divergents, she is the ultimate she's divergent. Nobody has yeah, divergent. Nobody has ever divergented the way that she divergents. <laughs> she diverged so hard. <laughs> Triss puts a lot together without being told a lot because everybody's speaking freely around these soldiers because they're supposed to be mindless. She realizes that this was an erudite plan to turn the Dauntless into an army because they're all trained soldiers to go wage war on abnegation and unseat them and take over the government. Which basically means committing genocide. This is a coup. Yes. So they just go to the abnegation compound and start mm, yes. shooting people. Triss says, I'll do whatever it takes to save my family. I'm not going to my family. And then there's a moment where she sees a dauntless soldier push over a abnegation man and kill him. She realizes it's Tori. I thought actually for some of the allegories that seem a little bit heavy handed or not quite working in here, 
I thought this one was really good of like how in these kinds of fascist systems, it's even the people that you trust, uh-huh. they're all just part of the system. They're all just doing what they're told following orders. Mm-hmm. And maybe she wanted to help Triss, but not enough to actually, you know, try to defy these other powers that get above her. It's devastating. The thing is though, is like they know that they have to put them under the serum because otherwise mm-hmm. they would never comply. It's only the leaders that want mm-hmm. that, which is another- Another fascist like, oh, allegory. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Veronica. So Triss runs into her mom. Triss's mom ends up sacrificing herself for the cause. So she still had a little bit of that don't listen her. She was brave until the very end and she's killed. We're at the end of book one and Triss has already lost an immediate family well, member. Something that also dramatic. happens is in her pursuit of defending her mother and her family, she shoots a dauntless soldier. Oh yeah. And this soldier happens to be Will, her Friend, friend, her friend initiate Christina's boyfriend. Oh, I'm sure she's gonna stay haunted by that throughout <laughs> the series. She may be a trained killer now, but she's still mm-hmm. a good person. She's shooting people left and right. Yeah. <laughs> Something that happens during this whole like coup scene is that she makes her way to the erudite compound and Janine is there. Janine is talking on the phone like when she walks in and then she sees Trish and she's like, I have to go. Somebody's here. How are you? I've been expecting you. And she does her whole like evil villain spiel. Because the abnegation, yes. they had too much power and we wanted to take it back. She and Caleb go back there because they find out that they have four. They wanted Triss the most, but they're like, we'll take four also because he has some sign of divergence. They basically want to do experiments on them. Uh, Did you notice this though? During this scene, she describes like a lot of things about Janine and something that I thought was really weird that I did not like is she keeps mentioning like Janine's appearance mm-hmm. and she says like she's pudgy. She mentions her stretch marks. It's in very one JK Rowling. Yes. Um, <laughs> To be fat is okay. to be evil. Yeah, it's yes. Yeah, I, yes, she can be evil. It's, Why are we like villainizing? I think that the idea, putting myself in the mindset of the person writing this at the time it was being written, is probably to make more of a stark contrast between the lean, mean, fit, dauntless versus these people in erudite who sit at their desks all day uh. and are not like exercising and being brave. But it does feel now like there are probably better ways that she could have <laughs> made that comparison rather than fixating on this middle-aged woman's body. Yeah. It's a bit bizarre. It's weird. And off-putting. <laughs> so Tris and Caleb find Tobias and she is able to speak through as herself to Tobias and not to the, because at some point he has been injected with something that now because of his lower level of divergence, he was taken under. And so he's trying to kill her. It's very Peter Mellar, Tracker Jacker, Tracker Jacker, mm-hmm. mutt coated. Yes. yes. She realizes she can't fight him. She needs to speak to him. She's able to pull him out. They kiss. They're back in love. Everything's good, except they're now fugitives. They can't go back. Yeah, they can go back to Dauntless she, after they did that. They are now They're on, on the, the run. run. Whoa. <laughs> Here's the last few lines. I have no home, no path, and no certainty. I am no longer Triss the selfless or Triss the brave. I suppose that now I must become more than either. 
She's been realizing throughout this book that the faction system doesn't work. And I do think some of the things that bother me about the world building of this system being truly like nonsensical and horrible seems that maybe it's intentional by the people in charge of the government to separate people by their qualities rather than let's say their abilities. Because like if you're in candor, you have to work as a judge or if you're right. in amity, you have to work as a caretaker. They call it an aptitude test, but it's more about focusing on one aspect of your life and ignoring all the rest and so Tris realizes that that's not gonna work and she has to embrace every part of herself she has the abnegation symbol and the, the dauntless symbol tattooed on herself isn't that so she's beautiful? gonna have to transcend and be more than her, the sum of her parts if they're going to win this war that we're entering uh-huh. and what a cliffhanger something that i do appreciate about divergent um how it stands against so many other ya dystopians of a similar vein is the lack of a love triangle. I was surprised by how much I like Triss and Four together, Me actually. Me too. He's kind of boring, but so is she. So it, <laughs> works out. it works out. For Dauntless, they really are boring. <laughs> They're the most boring people in Dauntless. I guess it's their abnegation background. <laughs> Probably. I like to wonder how they would have been if they had continued on in this society as is. Do you remember anything that happens in Insurgent? I know they visit Candor. That's okay, it. I remember them being with Amity people but i don't yes. remember if they were at amity they like visit the other factions right. we haven't seen that and but i don't remember the plot of it that's I, so yeah. exciting because that's the only thing i remember yeah. so i genuinely yep. cannot wait to start this we'll book. see and i wasn't like i was like we'll just read divergent and move on but now I yeah we weren't know. planning on reading the whole series but now i happens. really want to know what happens i can't wait to read allegiant because i hated it so that'll be really fun that is so interesting i can't wait to talk about that <laughs> and we'll have to watch the movies too of course i'm also very very excited to introduce Kelly to like some of the staples of the genre. Mainly the ones that I'm really excited to dive into are the selection trilogy, which I know Kelly would love because Kelly loves the bachelor. And if y'all know the selection, the selection is basically dystopian yes. bachelor. And by loves the bachelor, <laughs> Has a difficult and complicated relationship with it, but I wrote my master's thesis. Kelly on the knows Bachelor. everything there is to know about the Bachelor. <laughs> uh, and then another series I'm really excited to get to is the Matched series because I hated it so much. I also hated the selection, by the way. But these are just two series I hated, hated, hated so much, and I oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> revisit them and introduce Kelly to them as well. I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. I'm having such a blast already. Uh-huh. It's going to be so yeah. much fun. This was fun. We've been talking, Kelly and I have been talking about doing this podcast for months now and it's happened. And if you listen, thank you and tell us what you want us to read. Thank you so much. We can't have, we can't wait to have some of our friends on here to talk about their favorite things. I've had so many people get really excited about this idea and say, oh my God, you have to read The Maze Runner. You have to read the selection so it's gonna be so great to get on here get people that we love to talk about their favorite things maybe their least favorite things we liked this a lot more than we expected but who knows what's to come i think that made it a lot less interesting but it was fun for sure thanks so much and hopefully we will see you guys next time until next time don't be afraid to jump off that train